We're going to be learning in Chidushe Maron Riz Halevi, the second piece in Hilchus Megillah. This is Perak Bey's Halacha Tess. And in this piece, Rab Velvel is going to articulate a very fundamental issue about what the status of the Megillah is and whether it needs to be sanctified. So we all assume, mostly from looking at a Megillah, it looks very similar to a Sefer Torah or other sanctified objects that the Megillah must have sanctity. But Rab Velvel is going to articulate that more carefully and he's going to show that there is an element of sanctity that's missing from the Megillah. So this is a very fundamental discussion of this concept, and we'll see at the end that the Avnei Nezer has a diametrically opposed view to Reb Velvel. The Rambam writes, Ein ella al hagvil o al haklaf Torah. One has to write a Megillah with ink on parchment, like a Sefer Torah. It requires sirtut, which is the etching under the lines, like a Sefer Torah. So in those ways, a Megillah is similar to a Sefer Torah, that it requires ink on parchment and etchings under the lines. The Ein HaOrshala Tzarech La'abed Lishma. But the parchment does not need to be processed and made Lishma for the sake of a Megillah. So in that sense, it's different than a Sefer Torah, which does need Ibud Lishma. It needs to be prepared Lishma. But a Megillah does not require that. If it was written on paper or on the hide of an animal that was not processed, so it was not made into parchment, or it was written by a non-Jew or a heretic, psula. So in all those cases, the Megillah is disqualified. So those are some of the basic rules of a Megillah, and in many ways it's like a Torah, but there is one clear difference that a Megillah does not need to be prepared lishma. So Rabbi Velvel says that the commentators are bothered by why should a Megillah have this one detail that's different from a Sefer Torah. If all the rest of the rules of a Megillah are equivalent to a Sefer Torah, so it has to be written with ink on parchment, with sirtut, and the parchment has to be properly prepared, and if a non-Jew or a heretic write it, it disqualifies it. So those are all rules that we learn out from a Sefer Torah, and the Gemara in Megillah Yotes applies it to a Megillah because a Megillah is called a Sefer. So it has to model a Sefer Torah. So if we're comparing a Megillah to a Sefer Torah, why is this one rule of Ibud Lishma, that the parchment has to be prepared Lishma, why does that not apply to a Megillah, even though that's the rule of a Sefer Torah? And in fact, because of this, the tour in Arachayim Simen Tafresh Sari Aleph quotes the view of Rabbeinu Tam, and the Ramban also in his Chidushim at the beginning of the second chapter of Megillah, so they both hold that a Megillah does need Ibud Lishma, because a Megillah is compared to a Sefer Torah, so it's compared across the board in all ways, so just like a Torah needs to be prepared Lishma, a Megillah does as well. So Rabbeinu Tam and the Ramban are consistent that a Megillah has to be like a Sefer Torah in all ways. So why does the Rambam differentiate that in many ways it has to be like a Torah, but when it comes to Ibud Lishma, a Megillah is not like a Torah and it does not require Ibud Lishma. So to explain the Rambam, Rev Velvel says that there are two categories 
two different components of halachas in the writing of a Megillah. One is that a Megillah is included in the books of Tanakh, the holy books. Like the Gemara in Baba Basra, Daf Yudalit, it lists the books of the Ksuvim, the last section of Tanakh, and one of them is Esther. So the Megillah is part of the books of Tanakh, and that gives it sanctity. And the same idea comes from the Gemara in Megillah Zion, where it says that Megillah's Esther, if someone touches it with their hands directly, their hands become impure. Because that's the rule of the holy sanctified scrolls, that if someone touches them, their hands become impure. And that includes the Megillah, because it's one of those holy scrolls. And the Rambam records that halacha in Avos HaTumos Tesvav. So that's the first element to the sanctity of the Megillah, that it's part of the sanctified books of the Tanakh. The second element is that there is a special halacha of writing the Megillah, which is unique to the Megillah. That the Gemara says that the Megillah is called a scroll and it's called a letter and it's also ke'amita shal Torah, it's compared to the truth of Torah. So there are certain characteristics of writing a Megillah which is different than the other books of the Ksuvim. As the Rambam and Rabbeinu Tam both said that a Megillah is compared to writing a Sefer Torah. So a lot of the rules of a Sefer Torah do not apply to the rest of the books in the Tanakh, but they do apply to the Megillah. So the Megillah has special rules that it's compared to a Sefer Torah, unlike the rest of the books of the Nevi'im and the Ksuvim. Now, this second component only applies if someone is using this Megillah to fulfill their mitzvah of reading the Megillah on Purim. So then it has the second component that it's compared to a Sefer Torah. But if someone is just writing a Megillah in order to have a Megillah to study from, but they're not going to use it on Purim, so then only the first component applies. But they don't need to write it like a Sefer Torah. So let's say someone would write a Megillah like a regular scroll of Ksuvim, not with the unique halachas of a Sefer Torah, but just like a regular holy scroll of Ksuvim. So that scroll would have all the regular laws of the Ksuvim. So if someone touched it, their hands would be impure, like we said earlier. Also, there's a halacha that you're not allowed to recite the words of Tanakh by heart. You have to read it from inside a book. So let's say someone read it from this scroll, even though it wasn't written in the form of a Sefer Torah, it was just a regular scroll, that would be sufficient that it's not considered by heart. It's considered from inside a book. So there is a difference between the two components of a Megillah, that it's part of the regular Tanakh, and it also has its own rules in terms of if someone only writes a Megillah that fulfills the first criteria, so it's a scroll of Ksuvim, but it doesn't have the rules like a Sefer Torah. So that scroll is still considered a holy scroll. It's part of the Ksuvim, but one cannot read it on Purim and fulfill their mitzvah. The Megillah of Purim requires a second component that it's also compared to a Sefer Torah and has to be modeled after that. But says Rab Velvel, there's an even sharper distinction here because it's not just that the second component of a Megillah, that it's like a Sefer Torah, is added to the first component. They're actually two independent components. So either one of them can exist without the other. Now, obviously, a Megillah can be part of Ksuvim without being a valid Megillah for Purim, but even the other way could also work. So it's possible to have a Megillah which is valid for Purim because it's like a Sefer Torah, but it's not included in the Holy Scrolls of Ksuvim. So it's not that the element of being like a Sefer Torah is added onto the first element that a Megillah 
Megillah is a holy scroll, but that's an independent component which can exist on its own, even if this Megillah is not part of the Ksuvim. And the proof for this is that the Gemara Megillah you test, the Mishnah there says that if the Megillah is written with improper ink on paper or an unprepared hide of an animal, so it's not written with the proper ink on a parchment. So the Mishnah rules lo yatza that he cannot fulfill his mitzvah with the Megillah until it's written with ink on parchment. So the Gemara asks, how do we know this halacha that a Megillah requires proper ink on proper parchment? So the Gemara answers, it's Xera Shava of Ksiva Ksiva. It says regarding the Megillah of Esther Hamalka that the Megillah was written, the word Ksiva, and then in another context in Yirmiyahu, the word Ksiva is again used that he was writing on parchment with ink. So we see that the word Ksiva refers to writing with ink on parchment. So once it says that the Megillah has to be written, the same verb, so we know that it's ink on parchment. So from there is the source that a Megillah must be ink on parchment. So now Rab Delvil asks, why does the Gemara need a special source that a Megillah has to be written with ink on parchment? That's the basic halacha for all ksuvim. Any scroll that someone wants to write that's going to have sanctity has to have ink and parchment because that's the whole context for that Pusuk in Yirmiyahu. He was writing Megillah's Eicha. Now, Eicha doesn't have any special rules about how to be written. It's just the regular writing of ksuvim and it has to be done with ink on parchment. That's the basic halacha of ksuvim, that if they're written on a piece of paper, like if someone touches a printed book of Tanakh, their hands don't become impure, only if they touch a scroll. That's what the Mishnah in the fourth chapter of Yadayim says, that the whole halacha of impurifying the hands only applies to a scroll. So we see that the basic halacha of what's considered valid writing of the ksuvim, that they get the status of kisve kodesh, of a sanctified scroll, is only ink on parchment. So of course the Megillah has to be written ink on parchment. Why do we need a special Shava of Ksiva Ksiva that the Megillah has to be written on parchment? So says Rab Velvel, this proves his point. That in order to use a Megillah on Purim, it does not necessarily need to be a valid scroll of Ksuvim. So if not for the Gzereshava of Ksiva Ksiva, we would not know that the Megillah of Purim requires ink and parchment. It would require ink and parchment to be considered Ksuvim. Kisve HaKodesh, a holy scroll. So if it didn't have ink and parchment, it would definitely not be included in Ksuvim, but it still could be a valid Megillah to read on Purim. So that's why we need a special Gzereshava to tell us that even the Megillah of Purim has the same halacha as regular Ksuvim, that it must be written with ink on parchment. So we see that it's not necessary to have a valid scroll of Ksuvim to use for the reading on Purim, even if a Megillah would not be considered ksuvim, it could still be a valid Megillah to be read on Purim and fulfill the mitzvah because the criteria for the Megillah of Purim is totally different. There are two separate independent categories of Megillah. One is in order to be included in ksuvim and that has its own rules. And then there's another set of rules that are unique to the Megillah in order to read it on Purim. And there it has to model the Sefer Torah. So that's why the Gemara tells us that even in that second category, it also has to be written with ink on parchment. So this is the key conceptual idea that there are these two independent tracks for writing a Megillah.
Megillah. Now Reb Velvel brings a proof to this idea from the Gemara in Megillah Daf Zion. The Gemara quotes that Shmuel holds that Esther does not make the hands impure. So Shmuel disagrees with the view that we mentioned earlier, and according to him, the Megillah of Esther does not make the hands Tameh. So the Gemara asks, Does that mean to say that Shmuel holds that Esther was not written with divine prophecy? Shmuel said that Esther was written with Ruach HaKodesh. So we have a contradiction in Shmuel. On the one hand, he holds that Esther is a prophetic book. On the other hand, for some reason, he holds that it doesn't make the hands Tameh. So the Gemara answers, Nemra Likros below Nemra Lichtov. According to Shmuel, Esther is a prophetic work in terms of being read. So the type of Ruach HaKodesh is intended to be read, but not written. So Esther does not have the status of Kisve HaKodesh, the Ksuvim themselves when it's written, because the Ruach HaKodesh was intended to be read. So it sounds like according to Shmuel, the mitzvah of the Megillah is reciting it, but not writing it down. The scroll of the Megillah does not have the sanctity of Ksuvim. So Tosos asks, how could Shmuel say this when it contradicts a Mishnah later on? The Mishnah rules, Kara al yatsa, that if someone recites the Megillah by heart, not from inside a Megillah, they do not fulfill the mitzvah of reading the Megillah. Now, according to Shmuel, the point of the Megillah is reciting it, not writing it. So why does someone have to read it from in a Megillah and they cannot recite it by heart? So Tosos answers that when Shmuel said that the Megillah is not intended to be written down, he meant on a prophetic level. The prophecy said that the Megillah should be recited, not written down. But then when the rabbis codified the laws of Purim, so they added that the Megillah must be written down and the person reciting the Megillah must read it from a proper Megillah. So even though the original Ruach HaKodesh did not include that the Megillah must be written down, that's why if it's written down, it doesn't make the hands Tameh, but the rabbis did institute that the Megillah must be written and the person must read it from in the Megillah and if they don't, they don't fulfill their mitzvah. So that's how Tosos explains this halacha. But the Ritva in Megillah as well as Yuma Chavtes has a different answer. He differentiates between two different types of writing down a Megillah or other Ksuvim. It can be written down in order to be read, or it can be written down to have sanctity in the scroll itself. So the Ritva explains that according to Shmuel, certainly the rule of the Megillah is that it's supposed to be written down in order to be read to fulfill the mitzvah. So Shmuel doesn't disagree with the Mishnah that requires reading the Megillah from within a Megillah, not by heart, because he agrees that the rule of Megillah is that it has to be written down in a scroll and read from the scroll on Purim. What Shmuel means is that that scroll does not have the sanctity of Suvim. So the rule of the Megillah is that it's a type of prophecy that was supposed to be read on Purim from within a valid Megillah, but the Megillah itself 
the scroll that was written with Megillas Esther does not have the status of Ksuvim. It's not a holy scroll. So that's why it does not make the hands Tameh. So that's the Ritva's explanation for how to understand the view of Shmuel and fit it into the Mishnah. Says Rab Velvel, this comment of the Ritva is the same conceptual idea that he just developed. That there are two elements to Megillas Esther. One is that it's part of the overall Ksuvim. And the second is that it's written as a Megillah to be read on Purim. So that's exactly what the Ritva is saying. These two elements are independent. So that's why Shmuel says that even though a Megillah is not Kisve HaKodesh, it doesn't have the status of Ksuvim, but it still has to be written down in a valid form in order to be read on Purim. So very clearly, this is an independent component. One can write a Megillah to be used on Purim even if it's not considered part of the Ksuvim. So the second component of a Megillah, that it's like a Sefer Torah to be read on Purim, does not build on the first component, that it's part of Ksuvim, but it's a standalone. And according to Shmuel, in fact, that is the only component of writing a Megillah. A Megillah is not part of the overall Ksuvim. That was the other view in the Gemara. But according to Shmuel, the only element of writing a Megillah is that it's like a Torah to be read on Purim. And says this proof is not only from the Ritva, but even from Tosvos' answer. He said that writing the Megillah is only Jarabanan, but the original prophecy of the Megillah was not intended to be written down. So again, this leads to the same conclusion, that writing the Megillah is a totally new concept distinct from the writing of other Ksuvim, because it's clear according to Tosvos that a Megillah that's written according to Shmuel is not included in Kisve HaKodesh, it's not like a holy scroll of Ksuvim, because the original Ruach HaKodesh did not include writing it down. So once someone writes it down, this is not a book of Ksuvim, and yet Midra Banan, there are rules about what type of Megillah is necessary to be read on Purim. So we see that even though it's Dra Banan, the concept of writing the Megillah is distinct from the concept of writing Ksuvim. So the real difference between Tosos and the Ritva is whether the Megillah that's written for use on Purim is a Ruach HaKodesh concept that's implicit in the Megillah itself, or it's a Drabanan. But both of them agree conceptually that the Megillah that's written is not a scroll of Ksuvim, it's a special scroll that's intended for use on Purim that has similar rules to Sefer Torah. Now, in the parentheses, Rab Velvel adds that based on this approach of the Ritva, we could answer another question of Tosvos on Megillah Davches. The Mishnah says that the Megillah scroll does not make the hands tame ad unless it's written in the proper Hebrew script that we use for writing Torahs and Megillahs. So if it's written in another language, it does not make the hands tame. And the Gemara says that this is talking about Megillah's Esther. So Tosvos asks that the Gemara later in the second chapter, Daf Ches says, Giptis le Giptim, Elmis le'elamim. If someone writes a Megillah that's in Coptic, in Giptis, for people who speak that language, or in Elamite, for people who speak that language, so they write a Megillah that's intended to be used for people who speak a language other than Hebrew, Yatza, that is a valid Megillah. So you can read the Megillah in the language that the people understand. So now Tosvos asks, if the halacha is that one can read the Megillah in a different language other than Hebrew, and they can write a Megillah in that language 
for use for those people. So why should that Megillah not make the hands Tameh just like a Hebrew scroll since it's going to be used to fulfill the mitzvah? So Tosvos answers that there is a basic difference between Hebrew Megillahs versus other languages. If someone writes the Megillah in English or French or some other language, so they can use that Megillah, but only for people who speak that language. So they can use the English Megillah for English speakers, not for French speakers. They can use the French Megillah for French speakers, but not English speakers. So since that Megillah does not have universal use, so it does not make the hand Whereas a Hebrew Megillah can be used for anyone who speaks any language, they fulfill the mitzvah by hearing the Megillah in Hebrew, so that Megillah has universal appeal, so it makes the hands Tameh. So that's Tosos' distinction between a Megillah in Hebrew versus other languages, even though they're both valid, but the Hebrew Megillah is valid for everyone, and the non-Hebrew Megillah is only valid for those who speak that language, so it does not make the hands Tameh. Now, says Rab Velvel, according to the Ritva's approach, so it seems you could answer this question as well. Because if someone writes a Megillah in a different language other than Hebrew, in English or in French, even though that is a valid Megillah to be read from on Purim, but it is not a Kisve HaKodesh, that scroll is obviously not Ksuvim because it's not written in the Hebrew language of the original. So for a very simple reason, it's not going to make the hands Tameh because it's not Kisve HaKodesh, but even so, one can read from that Megillah on Purim and fulfill their mitzvah because it's a valid Megillah for the reading on Purim. So that's along the lines of the Ritva's distinction that a Megillah does not need to be Kisve HaKodesh in order to be read on Purim. It just has to fulfill the requirements of a Megillah for Purim, which do not include being one of the Ksuvim. So that's why this Megillah in English or French, even though it's usable on Purim, but it does not make the hands Tameh. So it seems that according to the Ritva, we could answer this question as well. And Ravelville says that perhaps that's even what Tosos means, that since the Megillah in English or French can't be used for everyone, so it's not considered part of the Ksuvim. So it's possible to read this in to Tosos's distinction as well. And then he references the Ran in Shabbos, what he quotes from the Raivid, as well as the Me'iri about this issue. So now, using this conceptual approach, Reb Velvel answers a question in the Gemara in Babe Basra, Daf Tesavav. The Gemara there writes that It's going through who authored each of the books of Tanakh, and it says that the Anshik Nesagedola, the men of the great assembly, which was the great court at the end of the first Beis Amikdash and the beginning of the second, so they wrote the book of Yechezkel, the book of Treyasar, the twelve. 12 small prophets, Daniel and Megillus Esther. So the authors of Megillus Esther were the Anshek Nesagedola. So Rashi asks, why were the Anshek Nesagedola writing the book of Yechezkel? Why didn't the Navi Yechezkel himself write it? The smaller prophets, it makes sense that each one didn't write their own book because their prophecies were smaller. So someone needed to collect them and put them all together to form a book. But the prophet Yechezkel, who wrote a long book, why didn't he himself just 
just write it? Why did the Anshikines Sagdola need to write it? So Rashi answers, because prophecy is not able to be written down outside of Israel. So since Yechezkel left Israel at a relatively young age, most of his prophecies and the last half of his life or more were spent in Babel, outside of Israel. So he was not able to write down his prophecies. He was able to have prophecies outside of Israel, but he was not able to finalize the book until the Anshei Knesset Sagedola came back to Israel during the beginning of the second Beis HaMikdash. And once they were in Israel, so then they finalized the book because now that they were in Israel, they were able to do so. And the same applies to the book of Daniel. He also was not able to write it because Daniel was outside of Israel in Babel. So again, when the Anshei Knesset Agdola came back to Israel, they had to finalize the book. And the same is true for Megillas Esther. Esther and Mordechai were not able to write the book because they were outside of Israel. So when the Anshei Knesset returned to Israel, so they finalized the book. So that's how Rashi understands the process of Yechezkel, Daniel, and Esther, that since those three figures lived outside of Israel at the end of their lives, they were not able to finalize their books, and the Anshei Knesset did so when they returned. But Reb Velvel asks that there seems to be a problem with this theory that Esther did not write her own book, the Anshei Knesset did so in Israel. Because the Seder Olam in chapter 29, which gives a timeline of when events in Jewish history happened. So he records a tradition that when the Megillah says Vatichtov Esther, that Esther wrote. Now the Gemara in Megillah Yutes explains that that's a reference to Megillah's Esther. And according to the Seder Olam, that happened the year after the events of Purim. So Esther was still outside of Israel and she wrote the Megillah. And Rashi himself in his commentary on Megillah's Esther on the Pasuk by Yechtov Mordechai Sadvarim Ha'ele that Mordechai wrote down these things. So Rashi explains Megillah zu kemoshehi shalach lahem. That Mordechai wrote the Megillah as we have it. So Rashi himself on the Megillah accepts this tradition that Mordechai and Esther wrote the Megillah outside of Israel. So now we have a contradiction. Rashi and Baba Basra says that the Anshei Knesset Sagidola had to write Megillah's Esther once they returned to Israel. But Rashi on the Megillah and the Seder Olam say that Mordechai and Esther wrote the Megillah before they came back to Israel. So Reb Velvel answers very beautifully based on his conceptual distinction that there are two types of writing the Megillah. One is as part of Ksuvim and one is a Megillah to be read on Purim. So says Reb Velvel, these two sources, the Gemara in Babi Basra and Seder Olam are addressing the two different components of the Megillah. The idea that prophecy cannot be written outside of Israel means that any prophecy written outside of Israel is not included in Ksuvim. So Rashi and Babi Basra is saying in order for Esther to be included in the Ksuvim, it would have had to be written once they returned to Israel by the Anshei Knesset Sagedola. But that's not the only element of the writing of Esther. There's a totally unrelated component that Esther is written as a Megillah in order to perform the mitzvah. And that's Shmuel's whole idea that that's the only element of Megillah's Esther. According to Shmuel in the Gemara, Esther is not part of the Ksuvim, but there are still special 
guidelines for how to write Megillas Esther in order to be able to use it on Purim. So that's the issue that Rashi on the Megillah and the Seder Olam are addressing. When was Megillas Esther written as a special Megillah which needs to be written in order to be read on Purim? So the answer to that is that Mordechai and Esther did that still when they were outside of Israel, the year after Purim. They sat down, they composed the Megillah, and from that point on, the Megillah had to be written in this fashion with certain rules in order to be read on Purim. But that still wasn't the end of the process because Megillah's Esther was still not part of the Ksuvim because they had done this outside of Israel. So then when the Anshik Nesagadola returned, they then confirmed that this book is one of the Ksuvim. And since that was done back in Israel, so now Megillah's Esther got the second component that it's also part of the Ksuvim. So that's why the Gemara in Babi Basra, which is not dealing with the specific rules of Megillah's Esther, it's dealing with the overall question of who composed the Ksuvim as part of Ksuvim. So the answer to that in terms of Megillah's Esther is Danche Knesset Agedola, because they're the ones that included it in the Ksuvim back when they were in Israel. But the Megillah is also correct in saying that Esther wrote the Megillah because it was Mordechai and Esther who created the Megillah with the rules that we have in order to read it and fulfill the mitzvah on Purim. So they created all of the rules of Purim, including how to read the Megillah. So even though that Megillah was not included in the Ksuvim at that point, but there was still a mitzvah to write the Megillah and read it on Purim. So in terms of the question of the authorship of Megillah's Esther, it was really a combination of Esther with the Anshik Nesagadola. Esther wrote the text and she started it off in terms of the rules of Purim and then the Anshik Nesagadola got it included in the overall category of the Ksuvim. So now, based on this conceptual approach, says Rab Velvel, we can answer the original question on the Rambam. Why does a Megillah not need Ibud Lishma, even though it's compared to a Sefer Torah? So the answer is that the Rambam differentiates between different rules of a Sefer Torah. There are certain rules that are necessary to create a Sefer Torah, and then there are rules that are necessary to create the sanctity of a Sefer Torah. So a Torah has Kedusha, and that comes about about through certain processes. So the Rambam holds that a Megillah only has the first category of rules. It has to be written in a Sefer, so the scroll of a Megillah has to model the scroll of a Sefer Torah. But the rules of a Torah that add Kedusha, so there the Megillah does not have those requirements. So now, writing with ink on parchment, those types of rules are what makes a Sefer Torah into a Sefer Torah. So it applies to Megillah as well. But when it comes to Ibud Lishma, so the Rambam holds that that is what infuses the Torah with sanctity. So therefore, it does not extend to a Megillah. And the proof for this, that Ibud Lishma is about Kedusha, is because the Gemara in Sanhedrin Memches says that whether you require Ibud Lishma for a Torah depends on Hazmana Milsahi, whether preparation of something for a mitzvah changes the status of that object. So the simple understanding of this is that if Hazmana is a valid status in Halacha, 
so then a Torah requires Lishma. And if Hazmana is not anything, so then the Torah does not require Ibud Lishma. So the Rishonim ask on this that the Gemara in Gi'in Nundalid says that a Sefer Torah, the parchment requires Ibud Lishma. It needs to be prepared Lishma. But we hold like Rava that Hazmana Lav Milsahi that preparing something for a mitzvah does not change it. So how do these two practical halachas coexist if we're saying that hazmana is nothing and still a Torah needs to be prepared lishma? So the Rishonim answer that there's a difference between something which is going to be used in the service of a mitzvah versus something which itself is going to have kedusha. So it's going to become an object of sanctity in and of itself. So those types of objects certainly require ibud lishma. There we say that the preparation is significant. It's only the objects that are going to be used to do a mitzvah. So like the outside of the tefillin, they themselves are not sanctified, but they're going to be part of a mitzvah. So there we say that the preparation is not significant. So the basic idea of this approach is that the reason why a Torah scroll requires Ibud Lishma is because it's about to become an object of Kedusha in and of itself. So in order to have that Kedusha in the scroll, it needs to be prepared Lishma. So we see that Ibud Lishma is a reflection of the Kedusha of the Sefer Torah itself. Not the general rules of what creates a Sefer Torah, but specifically the element of Kedusha, the sanctity of this Sefer Torah. And in the parentheses, Reb Velvel refers to his father, Reb Chaim's piece on this, in Chidush Rabbi Chaim Alevi on Hilchos Tfilin. Reb Chaim has a very long, thorough discussion about this whole issue. And one of the things that he adds is that you only require Lishma for something which is halachically required. So if this process is not required, the person's just doing it on their own, it does not require Lishma unless the halacha demands that they do so. But either way, a lot of these ideas are already articulated by Rab Chaim. He compares a Torah and Tfilin and Mezuzah and he's explaining the ruling of the Rambam that the parchment of mezuzah does not require ibud lishma. So in some ways, Reb Velvel is extending his father's analysis of this whole topic to include also the Megillah, where again, the Rambam says that it does not require ibud lishma. So Reb Velvel is extending these concepts and explaining how to factor in Megillah to the whole discussion. So now, putting this all together, Reb Velvel answers the question. Because since, as he just explained, the writing of the Megillah in order to be used on Purim is not a reflection of the Megillah being a holy scroll and part of the Ksuvim. It's a different halacha that there are rules as to how to write a Megillah so that it's valid for use on Purim. So those rules do not require that the Megillah be an object of sanctity. So that's why when we compare the Megillah to the Torah, it does have to model whatever makes it a Sefer Torah. So the rules of creating a Sefer Torah apply to the Megillah as well. But anything that adds Kedusha to the Sefer Torah does not apply to the Megillah because that would be the element of Kisvei HaKodesh. That for the Megillah to be a sanctified scroll, it might have some of those similar rules. But we don't require that for the Megillah that we read on Purim. So even if this Megillah 
Megillah is not Kedusha, it's still valid to be read on Purim. So that's why it does not need Ibud Lishma, because Ibud Lishma is not one of the rules of a Sefer Torah. It's one of the rules of the Kedusha of the Torah. So that rule does not apply to Megillah, even though the other ones do. So now, even though the Gemara in Megillah Yudtes said that a Megillah does require Ibud, so it's not enough to have unprocessed hide, it needs to be a fully prepared piece of parchment, but that's because that's one of the details of creating a safer Torah. Part of a safer Torah is that it's written on valid parchment. So that applies to the Megillah as well. But the element of Ibud Lishma, making that parchment specifically Lishma, that's not in the category of creating a safer Torah. That's in the category of adding Kedusha to the safer Torah. So that detail does not apply to the Megillah. So basically the Megillah in this formulation is like a very interesting object. It's a non-sanctified version of a safer Torah. It has the same elements of a Sefer Torah and it's read publicly on Purim to fulfill the mitzvah, but it's a non-sanctified version of a Sefer Torah. So all this explains the distinction that the Rambam makes between a Megillah and a Sefer Torah, even though in most ways a Megillah does reflect a Sefer Torah. Again, it has to be written with ink on parchment that was processed properly, and it can't be written by a non-Jew or a heretic, and the parchment needs to be sewn up with animal strings, not with flax strings. So in all those details, a Megillah reflects a Torah because it has to be a Sefer like a Sefer Torah. But the one exception, according to the Rambam, is Ibud Lishma, which adds Kedusha, to the Sefer Torah, and therefore it does not apply to the Megillah. Now, Reb Velvel adds very brilliantly that the Ramban, who disagrees with the Ramban, and he maintains that a Megillah does need Ibud Lishma like a Sefer Torah. So says Reb Velvel, this is the Ramban Lishitaso, because the Ramban disagrees with the view that he quoted earlier, that Ibud Lishma is about adding Kedusha. So again, Rab Chaim in his piece discusses all these approaches at length, but the approach of the Ramban Ramban is that the issue of whether a Torah requires Ibud Lishma does not depend on the question of Hazmana, whether the preparation is significant. It's a totally separate issue that a Torah requires Lishma, just like Tzitzis require Lishma. It doesn't have anything to do with Hazmana Milsa. That's how the Ramban explains it in his Chidushim on Gitin Nunhei and in the Melchamos on the Rif in the first chapter of Sukkah. So according to the Ramban, the Ibud Lishma of a Sefer Torah is not to add Kedusha. It's the same as Tzitzis, which are not an object of Kedusha. They're an object of a mitzvah. So we see that Ibud Lishma is about creating the mitzvah, not the Kedusha. So it's part of creating a Sefer Torah. So that's why it applies to the Megillah. So again, even the Ramban agrees with the basic idea of the Rambam that a Megillah is a non-sanctified Sefer Torah, but the Ramban holds that Ibud Lishma is not about adding sanctity to the Sefer Torah, it's about creating a Sefer Torah. So therefore, it does apply to the Megillah. So the Rambam and the Ramban are consistent with their views, how they understand the reason for Ibud Lishma for a Torah, and whether or not it applies to a Megillah. So now, Rabbi Velvel applies this conceptual framework to answer another question on the Rambam. The Gemara in Megillah Tesszayin Amud Beis quotes Amr Rabbi Yochanan Vav Devaizosa Tzarech Lemimtecha B'Zekifa. 
The Vav of Vaizasa, which is the last name of the sons of Haman, so his name was Vaizasa, so that Vav needs to be extra long. And then the Gemara quotes another halacha, Amr Rabchanina Bar Papa Darash Rabshila Ishkfar Tamrasa. Rabchanina Bar Papa reported in the name of Rabshila from Kfar Tamrasa. Kola Shiros Kulan Nechtavos Ariach Al Gabi Levena Ulevena Al Gabi Ariach. All the other shiros, the songs in Tanakh, are written ariach on levena, which means staggered. So it looks like bricks in a building. There's two bricks that are lying on top of one brick, and then that one brick is on top of two bricks. So the line on top has two phrases that have a big space in the middle, and then the line after that has a phrase in that middle space, and then the line after that has, again, two phrases on the outsides and a space in the middle. So that's the way a normal song in Tanakh is written in this staggered way. With two exceptions, which are the list of Haman's son's names and the list of the kings of Canaan. They are not staggered. They're written in solid columns. So there's a brick on top of a brick on top of a brick. And then on the other side, there's also brick on brick on brick. So there's no staggered. There's just two phrases on either either side of the page, and in the middle, there's a space. So those are the two rules that the Gemara reports in terms of writing a Megillah, that the Vav of Vaizasa is extra long, and the names of Haman's sons are unusual for songs in Tanakh, that they're not staggered, but they're written in solid columns. Now, the Magid Mishnah in Hilchus Megillah, Beis Yud Beis, raises the question, why does the Rambam omit these halachas? He makes no mention of them in how to write a Megillah. So why does the Rambam leave out these explicit, straightforward halachas in the Gemara. Says Rav Velvel, according to his conceptual approach to understanding the Rambam, so we can answer this question as well. The Rambam holds that these two halachas about how to write a Megillah are not halachas in writing a Megillah in terms of the category of Megillah. They're halachas that have to do with Kisve HaKodesh, how to write a Megillah that will be part of the Tanakh. So when it comes to writing Kisve HaKodesh, like a Sefer Torah, there are all sorts of rules that are passed down in a tradition about how to write the letters and which ones have unusual shapes and which ones should be larger. So there are all sorts of traditions about how to write a Sefer Torah, as the Rambam himself records in the seventh chapter of Hilchos Sefer Torah. So in terms of writing a scroll which will have Kedusha and be considered Kisve HaKodesh, so that's what the Gemara says, that there are similar rules for a Megillah that the Vav has to be extra long and the names of Haman's sons have to be written in a straight column. But all of that is in terms of writing this scroll so that it will have Kedusha and be considered part of Kisve HaKodesh based on what the Anshe Knesses HaGedola set up. So when they established that the Megillah is one of the Kisve HaKodesh, it's part of Tanakh, so they set up that it should be written with an extra long Vav and the names of Haman's sons in a straight column. But in terms of writing a Megillah to be used on Purim, so that comes from a totally different source. That does not come from Anshe Knesset HaGedola. It's earlier from Esther herself. And Shmuel's view in the Gemara is that there wasn't even a prophetic aspect in terms of writing it down. So it does not have the same 
sanctity of Kisve Kodesh when it's written down, and still it's a valid Megillah. So this was the basis of Rab Velvel's whole approach throughout this piece. So we see that it can be a Megillah, even if it's not part of Kisve Kodesh, it does not have that sanctity. So in order to be a Megillah, it also does not need to be written in that specific way. So the Rambam holds that the Megillah one reads on Purim does not require a long Vav or the names of Haman in a straight column. That's a halacha in terms of Kisve HaKodesh, not in terms of writing a Megillah to be used on Purim. There, there's no specific rules about how to shape the letters or the size of the letters. And then Rav Velvel adds that there's even a slightly simpler formulation of this idea, that when the Gemara says that there's a specific shape that the song of Tanakh needs to be written in, so that even more clearly does not apply to writing the Megillah, because that's not about the scroll. It's not saying that there's a halacha in this scroll, that the passages of Shira need to be structured a certain way. That's a halacha in the Shira, that when there's a song in Kisve HaKodesh, so normally it's written a certain way. That's exactly how the Brisa formulates it, that there is a standard structure for a Shira that's in Tanakh. So any song in Kisve HaKodesh should be written Ariach al Gabe Levena and Levena al Gabe Ariach in a staggered brick format. But that's telling us how a song of Kisve HaKodesh is supposed to be structured. And the exception to that is the names of Haman's sons and the kings of Canaan. So those two songs in Tanakh are supposed to be written with a different structure. But none of this has anything to do with the Megillah. It has to do with the rules of writing a Shira that's included in Tanakh as part of Kisve HaKodesh. But it has nothing to do with the halachas of writing a Megillah to be read on Purim. That Megillah is compared to a Sefer Torah, so it has to have the same build as a Sefer Torah, but the songs in the Megillah do not need to follow the rules of Shira in Kisve HaKodesh. So that's why the Rambam omits any mention of that halacha in the laws of Megillah, because there he's describing a Megillah that should be read on Purim, and the structure of the song of the sons of Haman's name and the extra long Vav are not part of those halachas. Now, the lingering question is, why does the Rambam not record these halachas in terms of writing Kisve Kodesh? So Rab Velvel throws in that the Rambam never records those halachas. He never rules anywhere in his Sefer how to write scrolls of Kisve Kodesh other than a Sefer Torah, but the rest of the books of Tanakh, he never rules on that because those are issues of tradition. So there's a Mesorah, there's a tradition how to write those scrolls and any Sofer who's writing them should know those traditions, but they're not halachas, so the Rambam does not record them. So this is Rab Velvel's approach to explaining the Rambam why he omits these two halachas about how to structure a Megillah. So now in the final paragraph, Rab Velvel brings a proof from the Orzarua to this approach. The Orzarua in the Laws of Megillah, Simon Shin Ayin Gimel, goes through the different paragraphs of the Megillah, and he explains which ones are psuchos and which ones are stumos. In a Torah scroll, one can either end the line and then have a blank space until the next paragraph. So the next paragraph starts on the next line, or there can be a space and the next paragraph starts on the same line. So the Orzarua records from the Misora the tradition 
which paragraphs of the Megillah are supposed to be open and which ones are supposed to be closed in terms of the spacing. Then at the end of the discussion, he adds, When it comes to the different sections, I don't know which ones are open, which ones are closed. Probably they should be done in a closed way like tefillin and mezuzahs. So since we don't know how to space them, we should follow the spacing of tefillin and mezuzahs in a Megillah. So Rav Velvel asks, first of all, this is a contradiction because he just told us the tradition about which sections are supposed to be open and closed. So why is he now writing that he doesn't have a tradition about this? He just told us the tradition. Second of all, what does tefillin and mezuzah have anything to do with Megillah? Tefillin and mezuzah have certain rules about how to write them and how to space the paragraphs. But what does that have anything to do with Megillah? Why should a Megillah mimic the spacing of tefillin and mezuzahs? So says Rab Velvel, according to his conceptual approach, we can explain the Orzarua's language as well. What the Orzarua means is that the tradition about whether the spacing should be open or closed has to do with Kisve HaKodesh. So if someone is writing a Megillah to be part of Tanakh and to have the sanctity of Kisve HaKodesh, so there the spacing should be according to the tradition. So that's why he records the tradition of Psuchos and Stumos to make a Megillah Kisve HaKodesh and give it sanctity. But then says the Orzarua, when it comes to writing a Megillah for Purim, so that's a totally different category. That's not Kisve HaKodesh. That's a Megillah to be read on Purim and it has different rules and I don't know whether the spacing should be open or closed. So that's why there's no contradiction in the Orzarua. He did tell us the tradition for the spacing, but that's a different category of Kisve HaKodesh. Now he's adding that in terms of the Megillah for Purim, he does not know whether it should be open or closed. So he deduces it from Tefillin and Mezuzah, which are parallel to the Megillah on Purim. Just like Tefillin and Mezuzah are taking words of Kisve HaKodesh, so they borrow words from the Sefer Torah. And in the Sefer Torah, there are specific rules about which paragraphs should be stumos versus psuchos. But when those same paragraphs are written into Tefillin or Mezuzah, they're written stumos. So we write them differently than how they appear in the Sefer Torah. In the Sefer Torah, there's a Mesorah, a tradition about how the paragraphs should appear. But when they're recreated in a tefillin and a mezuzah, that's a different form of writing. It's not Kisve HaKodesh. Those same paragraphs are now being written as part of the mitzvah of tefillin or mezuzah. So that's a new form of writing. So there, the halacha is that it should be stumos. Says the Orzarua, presumably it's the same rules when it comes to the Megillah on Purim. It's the same concept. We're taking words that are part of Kisve HaKodesh, they're part of the Tanakh, but we're writing them in a different format to do the mitzvah of reading the Megillah on Purim. So that should follow the laws of Tefillin and Mezuzah that the paragraphs should appear stumos, even though in the Megillah itself, as part of Kisve HaKodesh, the appearance is different, the spacing is different, but when it's rewritten to be used for the mitzvah of Megillah and Purim, the spacing should be stumos to parallel the Tefillin and the Mezuzah. So that explains the comparison between Tefillin and Mezuzah and Megillah. And in the brackets, Rav Velvel adds that the Vilna Gaon in his commentary on the Shul 
Shulchan Arach, Simon Tuf Reish Tzadi Aleph Sif Beis. So he explains the reason why the paragraphs in the Megillah for Purim are written stumos is because it's called an Egeres, a letter. So the Megillah for Purim is supposed to look like a letter, and a letter has paragraphs that are stumos. That's how the Vilna Gon explains this halacha. So it's a little different formulation than the Arzarua, who said that the Megillah for Purim should mimic the Tefillin and Mezuzah, whereas the Vilna Gon says that the Megillah for Purim should look like a letter. But Rab Velvel asks, what is the Vilna Gon talking about? Who said that a letter has closed paragraphs? Maybe the paragraphs in a letter start on the following line. So Rab Velvel says maybe the Vilna Gon also means like his conceptual idea, that since the writing of the Megillah for Purim is a different type of writing, it's not Kisve HaKodesh writing, it's letter writing. So the point the Vilna Gon is making is not that the Megillah should look like a letter, it's that the Megillah is a new form of writing the same paragraphs, so it doesn't need to appear as it does in Kisve HaKodesh, but it should be written in the way that new objects are written, like Tefillin and Mezuzah. So maybe the Vilna Gon also means along the lines of the Orzarua, the way Reb Velvel explained it. But either way, from the Orzarua, we see the overall point of Reb Velvel, that there are two different categories of writing the words of Megillas Esther. One is as part of Kisve HaKodesh, and there there are all sorts of rules about how to structure the paragraphs, and there's a tradition about how the spacing should appear. But then there's a totally different category to write Megillas Esther to be read on Purim, and that does not require sanctity. That has a different set of rules, and there is no tradition about how the spacing should appear. So that's exactly how Rav Velvel explained the Rambam's omission of the two halachas in the Gemara, how to write a Megillah with an extra long vav and the format of the names of Haman's sons, because according to the Rambam, all of that is a tradition about how to make the scroll part of Kisvei HaKodesh. But in terms of writing a scroll to be read on Purim, neither of those halachas applies. So this is Rav Velvel's overall approach to explain the view of the Rambam in terms of defining the sanctity of a Megillah. And according to Rab Velvel, there are two elements and two different periods when the words of the Megillah were sanctified. First, Esther created the words of Megillah's Esther as a mitzvah to be read on Purim, and that type of Megillah does not require sanctity. But only later, when they returned to Israel, the Anshek Nesta Gedola sanctified those words as part of the Kisve HaKodesh, but that has certain rules about how it needs to be written. But even after the Anshek Nesta Gedola included Megillah's Esther in the Kisve HaKodesh of Tanakh, in order to fulfill the mitzvah on Purim, one does not need a Megillah, which is part of Kisve HaKodesh, they just need a Megillah, which suffices for the reading of Megillah's Esther, the way Esther originally set it up. So this is a very fundamental piece from Rab Velvel in terms of understanding the status of Megillah's Esther. Now, interestingly, the Avnei Nezer in his tshuvas, he has a series of tshuvas basically from Simen Tuf Kuf Tes Zion to Simen Tuf Kuf Chaf. So 516 to 520, where he argues almost point by point with what Rab Velvel's saying. So according to the Avnei Nezer, the Megillah that's read on Purim must have the sanctity of Kisve HaKodesh. There is no such thing as writing a Megillah that's usable on Purim, but is not Kisve HaKodesh. And then the Avnei Nezer goes through a lot of the same points that Rab Velvel raises to prove his point that the Megillah does not require sanctity. And the Avnei Nezer explains how they can be 
be interpreted along the lines that a Megillah does require sanctity. In Simon Tafkuf Tes Zion, Abnei Nezer discusses the issue of whether a Megillah written by a child is valid. So he begins with the debate between the Rambam and Rabbeinu Tam that Rab Velvel also began with, whether a Megillah requires Ibud Lishma, and the Rambam's view is that the parchment of the Megillah does not need to be prepared Lishma. So Davne Nezer explains this based on the Rambam's view that the parchment of a Mezuzah also does not need Ibud Lishma. So that's a controversial view of the Rambam, which the other commentators disagree with, but Davne Nezer sees all of this as the Rambam Lishitaso, it's all consistent that the Rambam holds a mezuzah and a megillah do not require ibud lishma. And the reason is based on a tshuva of the Rambam where he explains that mezuzah is different than tefillin or sefer Torah because those are obligatory on the person, whereas a mezuzah is a requirement of the house. So it's not a steady obligation on the person, so it doesn't require ibud lishma like a sefer Torah or tefillin. So Davne Nezer says that we could extend the same logic also to a megillah. It's not a steady requirement. It's a once a year requirement. So that's why it's similar to a mezuzah that the parchment does not need ibud lishma. So Davne Nezer puts this all in a more technical way that tefillin and sefer Torah are a higher level of obligation so they require ibud lishma versus mezuzah or megillah which are a lower level or a less frequent level of obligation so they don't require ibud lishma. Now Reb Velvel also notes the comparison between megillah and mezuzah but along the lines of his father Reb Chaim he has a much more conceptual reading of this. So Rab Chaim already explained that when it comes to mezuzah, it doesn't require ibud lishma because it's compared to the scroll of the Torah, not to the sanctity. So Rab Velvel extends that also to the Megillah, that it requires a scroll, but not the sanctity. So again, Avnei Nezer and Rab Velvel have different views explaining why the Megillah does not require ibud lishma, and Rab Velvel's following his father's approach. Now, the Avnei Nezer's explanation for the Rambam's view, unlike Reb Velvel, does not lead to the idea that there's any less sanctity in a Megillah than a Sefer Torah. So the Megillah, according to the Avnei Nezer, is also part of Kisve HaKodesh. Unlike Reb Velvel, the Avnei Nezer would say, and he actually writes this clearly, that in order to use a Megillah on Purim, it must have sanctity. In Simen Tafkuf Yud Zayin Os Zayin, he writes, Abal Ein Hadavar Miskabal Al Halev Lomar, it doesn't seem right to say, the Sifrei Nevuah V'Ruach HaKodesh, Lo Kedusha Min HaTorah, that scrolls which contain prophecy and divinely inspired words would not be sanctified under Torah law. So Davne Nezer believes that the Megillah has to have Kedusha to it. Now, Reb Velvel had a few proofs to his view. So first of all, was the fact that the Gemara learns out from Ksiva Ksiva that a Megillah is compared to a Sefer Torah, that it has to have the format of a Sefer Torah. Now, if the Megillah has to be part of Kisve HaKodesh, then that seems obvious. Why do we need a special Gzei Shava to teach us that the Megillah has to be written like a Sefer Torah? 
Also, there was the view of Shmuel who holds that the prophecy of the Megillah was not intended to be written down. The writing of the Megillah is only Drabanan. So again, we see that the written Megillah is a later step. It's not part of the original format of the Megillah, which was oral. And related to all this was that a Megillah can be written in other languages other than Hebrew. So again, that seems to indicate that a Megillah does not need to be part of Kisvei HaKodesh. So Davne Nezer also addresses these points from his perspective in 518, 519, and 520. So Tshuva 518 is about a sofer who wrote a Megillah without intending for it to be sanctified. So is that good? So again, the Avnei Nezer begins with the view of the Rambam that a Megillah does not require Ibud Lishma. And then in that Tshuva and the next two Tshuvas, so the Avnei Nezer goes extensively through a lot of the different opinions regarding the issue of a Megillah that's not in Hebrew. So unlike Rab Velvol, who stays very focused on the conceptual analysis, the Avnei Nezer, like most commentators, gets involved in all the different opinions. So the Avnei Nezer has a few points that he makes. One is that he suggests that even though Megillah is not in Hebrew, it still has sanctity. But in Shuva 520, the Avnei Nezer suggests that maybe there are two different approaches to Megillah. So Shmuel, in fact, does hold that a Megillah has less sanctity than regular Kisvei HaKodesh. So according to him, the Gemara requires a Xerah Shava to learn out that a Megillah has to be written in the format of a Sefer Torah, in a regular scroll of Kisve HaKodesh. But the other view, which is how we rule that the Megillah was intended to be written down, so it's a type of prophecy that's supposed to be in a scroll, so they hold that a Megillah is Kisve HaKodesh, and they in fact would not require that Xerah Shava. So that's part of the Abnei Nezer's analysis, but either way, on a conceptual level, he certainly disagrees with Rab Velvel that the Megillah that's read on Purim can be missing sanctity. And according to the Avnei Nezer, it's clear that any Megillah you're reading on Purim must be part of Kisve HaKodesh as well.